You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Jim Dish of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office. It's good to be with you on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. The COVID-19 pandemic was the main topic of discussion on our programs this week. Holy Name Cathedral Rector Father Greg Sakowitz and Catholic School Superintendent Jim Rigg discussed e-learning during the corona crisis. Their guests on our Catholic Schools program were Dr. Molly Cinnamon, Jackie Sultan, and Christine O'Connor. You know, just in your own words, define e-learning. So e-learning, of course, stands for electronic learning or electronically-based learning. It's essentially distance learning, leveraging technology. So in the 21st century, uh, there's an abundance of platforms and programs available that can be leveraged to deliver education at home. And, you know, I, I, I was a teacher, I was a principal, I don't believe that nothing really can replace the person-to-person Correct. Ed, uh, interactions that are at the real heart of the educational process. But, you know, this is a time where we can't see each other directly physically. And so we uh, are leveraging the, the best of what's available in electronic learning platforms to continue the educational process. Now, let me ask you, Jim, um, how long has e-learning been around? Well, it's been around in various forms for the last several years. Uh, technology continues to develop every year. Uh, and this year, you know, we've kind of been forced to... Um, make even even more uh, substantial use of it. Uh, you know, most of our schools had e-learning plans before the closure of our school system a month ago, but the e-learning plans were really developed for kind of one or two two-day, you know, snow day, inclement mm-hmm. weather scenarios. Mm-hmm. And um, when we learned that this was going to be a prolonged closure, our schools have had to adapt and create long-term e-learning uh, plans. And as I said before, I think they've done so with, uh, with great creativity and ingenuity and energy. And I've heard a lot of compliments from uh, parents, even though the parents are having to work very hard, uh, as well as just the general public on the quality of what's going on out there. I've been so impressed at how our Catholic educators have really stepped up in spite of the circumstances. Uh, you know, Father Greg, I have four children of my own at home, and mm-hmm. they, are, <laughs> they are working hard, I have to tell you. Uh, my oldest, who's... Uh, uh, attends a Catholic high school, he has to go through his schedule every day. You know, he has seven seven periods a day, and he follows his schedule just like he would in a regular school day. It checks in with teachers. He has live classes that he has to attend where he can, you know, see his teacher, see other students, ask questions, receive questions. Now, Jim, is that, done, my, through, is that done through Zoom? Uh, different schools use different platforms. So Zoom is probably the most common platform out there for direct video live chat. Now that is brand new, isn't it? Uh, it's been around for a few years, but okay. like everything, it's you know there's been different versions of it out there. Uh, but it you know it's it's usually free, and um, it's pretty easy. It's pretty intuitive. Pretty easy to to get to know and to use. So which means your and son so, actually goes through a regular day of high school from morning. Now I presume he's on Easter break this week. No, actually, he had a spring break back in March. Oh, okay. Maybe two weeks ago. So he will go back. He's off today because it's Easter Monday, but he'll go back to school officially tomorrow. Not physically, of course, 
but he'll attend. So he sits in class front of the computer tomorrow. all day, unless it's a break time or lunch time, yep. and yep. learning. Now, can he see his other classmates in the classroom, or is it just it's only just him looking at the teacher? No, depending on the moment, uh, he can actually see and interact with his classmates as well. Now, wow. there, there is a variety of things happening. There are moments where he checks in with his teacher and his classmates, moments where he may just be on with his teacher, moments where he may be, you know, not involved in a in a live video chat and maybe working individually. Uh, and then we really have encouraged all of our schools to plan and break, especially with younger children. Uh, it is not healthy for younger children to be in front of screens all day long, and so it's important to schedule in breaks for lunch, kind of uh, call them recess breaks where kids can mm-hmm. come outside or do other things, get away from the screens, kind of mentally recharge, and then get back in front of uh, uh, the computer to continue their e-learning. You yeah. know, in a time like this, this is very hard, uh, very stressful. There's a lot of fear, but you can't lose humor in all this. We have to be able to laugh and make a little light of it. I mean, it's very serious. We pray, especially for the first responders, medical yep. staff, and those who have coronavirus, and, yep. those, and many have lost their lives. We pray for those yep. who are sick, who have died. But at the same time, you know, we have to, uh, a little humor is not bad once in a while. Yes, absolutely. You have to stay sane during these Yes, these exactly. Times. And, and yep. do a lot of praying. Well, that's actually a, a great segue into our first segment here. Um, So earlier in the show, we were talking about all of the various ways that we are continuing to deliver uh, a great education to our Catholic school students in spite of the closure of our school system. Uh, But amidst all of that education, it is so important that we also reach out to our students and their families and make sure that they are emotionally and physically well. Uh, A real hallmark of Catholic education is the care for the whole student not just academically, but socially, emotionally, physically, and, of course, spiritually. And in the midst of this uh, closure, uh, March 27th was International Social and Emotional Learning Day. Uh, Social and Emotional Learning is noticing what you're doing, feeling, and thinking at the time you are actually doing, feeling, and thinking about it. So sort of that self-reflection. And because God is part of our everyday, uh, part of our everyday lives, paying attention to God and focusing on our values in relationship to ourselves and others as a fundamental practice of our Christian faith and our Catholic schools. And so here to talk about uh, social-emotional learning and International Social and Emotional Learning Day, we have on the phone uh, Ms. Uh, Yesenia Maldonado, who is the Director of Social and Emotional Learning in the Office of Catholic Schools, so a, an outstanding member of my own staff. Uh, we also have, I believe, on the phone Dr. Molly Cinnamon, who is the principal of Pope John the Twenty-Third School in Evanston, along with Jackie Sultan, who is a teacher at Pope John the Twenty-Third. Uh, Yesenia, Molly, Jackie, are you with us? Good morning, Hi, good Dr. Rigg. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. How is? It? I have a quick question uh, for Dr. Cinnamon. That is, uh, I was pastor from 2010 to 2016 at St. Mary's, and so. Oh, you- yeah, for six years, and I left in 2016 to come down to the cathedral. So then for oh. you, Molly, and for Jackie, uh, Molly, you began, is this your first year, Molly? This is coming up on the end of my first year. As principal. you got to come in and, and with a bang, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah, you really came in with a, with, a, with a smash there. And how about you, Jackie? Yeah. How long have you been at the uh, Pope John Twenty-Third? It's my second year teaching there. I think, though, I came as a parent right after you left. So you came as a parent? With my children attending oh, Pope wow. John. Yeah, and then I came on board. I loved it so much. 
That is terrific. <laughs> okay, it's, it's interesting. So, it, uh, I, boy, Pope John the Twenty Third, what a tremendous school. So you had two parishes, St. Nicholas, yeah. St. Mary's, working together. And every yeah. Monday I'd go in with uh, Bill Kachuk, who was a pastor at that time, or Bob Cook, and we would teach the different grade levels every Monday yeah. afternoon. Yeah, I had to get the kids nice and wild. Strong. Is it really? Yeah. With Father <laughs> Joe wonderful. Tito I, I, and with Father uh, Kevin McRae. Yes. Oh, my gosh. To have two parishes supporting our school feels really, um, I feel incredibly blessed. I know our whole staff does. But yeah. the gentlemen that, that are, you know, Father Kevin and Father Tito, when they come into the building, it's really, they are a member of our team in so many ways. Besides being our pastors and our pastoral leaders, they also come in and, and the kids know them and have relationships with them, and they really do bring the Catholic faith into the classroom, certainly every Monday, but they're in the building a lot, which I think is really important. Well, and the Pope John XXIII has, has such a great history, tremendous mm-hmm. community of people, parents who are deeply involved, wonderful children. Uh, yes. I, you know, it's just uh, great, great memories of both St. Mary's, St. Nicholas, and Pope John XXIII. So I didn't mean to cut I you off that. there, Jim. I a little sidebar. <laughs> no worries. The, uh, obviously, the pastoral leadership has just gotten better and better through the years. <laughs> just kidding. I have to pick on Father Greg. Even though we are 37 miles away from one another, I, I will not pass up an opportunity. It's like he's like my younger brother just keeps going after me. <laughs> <laughs> just keeps well, taunting why me. Uh, why don't we dive in here? So um, I believe we have Yesenia Maldonado as well on the line. She's the director of social and emotional learning. And Yesenia... Why don't you tell us why is social emotional learning so important during this uh, unusual and unprecedented time of, of e-learning in our school system? Absolutely. Thank you. And um, thank you both. And happy Easter. I think when we talk about social emotional learning, what's really important is to think about kind of the three hows and kind of thinking about it's really about how we understand ourselves and our feelings as children of God. And second, how we work with each other as as a faith-based community, and then also how are we making good decisions as followers of Christ. And during this time, specifically around the pandemic and this unusual time, clinging on to those things are so important because they're, they're, we're in, in a time of crisis. We're in unprecedented times of, of stress. And so being able to kind of really be there for one another as, as a community, as, um, as adults in the space leading the way for our children and modeling how to take care of ourselves and really be in touch with how we're feeling and understanding that during this time, it's okay not to feel okay and that however we're feeling is okay and that God is there for us as a community and that you know we're able to still make good decisions and, and continue to learn with one another and do it in a very unique way. And I think it's an opportunity to be physically distant but still um, be creatively connected socially to one another. Yes, Cindy, you say something very important. I read an article a few days ago that talked about at this time called, he said, be ready for or do radical self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Radical self-acceptance, which means this is no time to be hard on oneself, to judge oneself. And as you said, Yesenia, we're going through very high stress, high fear. And so I guess what the author was really saying is be nice to yourself, be easy on yourself. This is no time to be judgmental of yourself or others because this is not, this is, I wasn't liking this, this is emergency times. This is, uh, mm-hmm. in some ways, it's a bad word, but like wartime in terms of this is not our normal everyday activity. 
So sometimes we don't realize the stress we are going through or the underlying fear. Uh, when I see people walking on the street, which is not too many, but they're distanced from each other, they're wearing masks, this is now what I call a normal setting and have children at home morning, noon, and night uh, and not interacting with their, their classmates in the school, in the classroom, there's an underlying fear that we have to just really address and name and stress. Absolutely. I think so it's a really, really important time, too, to tell the parents to be good to themselves, too. That yeah. This is a lot we're asking of our families and a lot of our, our parents and of, of our children. I mean, I really mm-hmm. think they're going through grief. Yesenia and I have talked about that a little bit. It, they, they are grieving their norm, right? And the yes. parents are feeling this, I'm sure, tremendous pressure to keep their homes normal, but also they're dealing with their jobs or job loss or financial crisis and then trying to teach math at the dining room table while working on their own things. And I think it's an important, I love what you said, Father, because I think that parents need to be kind and gracious to themselves as well. And now joining us by phone, we have Kaz Badney, Principal of St. Alphonsus Academy and Center for the Arts. Welcome, Kaz, to the program. Thank you very much. And it, uh, did you have a great Easter? Oh, I did. It was a great Easter. It's, um, there's something comforting about um, watching Mass and, and at home in the comfort of your own couch. So there, there was something comforting in that. Yeah, I think the numbers were staggering both for uh, ABC Channel 7 and WGN Channel 9 Mercy Home Television Mass. Uh, and also, you know, I think some parishes doing um, live streaming the Mass you know, especially on Easter, people truly seeking to connect. But I keep saying is that the churches are not closed, buildings are, you know, we are the body of Christ, you know, you are the church, and uh, together with all this. So maybe, Jim, a question for one of us or for all of everybody in the group? Happy to. I was uh, just thinking as you were, you were talking there that my kids enjoyed not having to dress up for mass. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I told them not to, uh, not to get used to it. I'm sure they going to church. You know, I at like some that. point in the future. <laughs> Good <laughs> point. It, uh, it is a more uh, intimate, uh, in some ways, uh, experience in your living room, uh, watching Mass on TV uh, versus being there. Of course, um, it's always nice to be part of a, of a community of the faithful. That's really who we are as church, mm-hmm. uh, versus you know watching a priest on a screen. But those are the times we're living in, and at least we can And this, this too happen. shall pass to get the church once shall again pass, opened. Right, exactly right. And be back to what we so, were. So um, before the week, we were talking about social-emotional learning and the importance of continued outreach uh, to families, to students, uh, in spite of the circumstances. And, uh, Dr. Badney, since you're with us now, why don't you talk to us a little bit about kind of what you're seeing and hearing out of families at Alphonsus Academy of the Arts, how they are doing socially and emotionally, and how you and your staff are being attentive to their social and emotional needs at this time. Um, yes, of course. Um, we have really been working on our, our um, morning announcements in terms of really trying to connect um, our community together emotionally and socially. So um, every Monday we have Mindful Monday, which is an opportunity of prayer or just helping Students understand of being grateful for all that they have received, even at a time like this when we're socially isolated. Um, And on Tuesday, we have Touch the Heart Tuesday, and it's really an opportunity to do something for someone else. And we provide some suggestions like, you know, 
write a note to mom or dad or to your brother and just place it in their workstation of how you appreciate them. Um, or um, uh, another one is you draw a rainbow with the hashtag um, AACA together and write what you're grateful for or write a message to the healthcare workers. Um, so we've been trying to connect with students and parents and the, the greater community on really extending their, their love and their, their kindness um, more citywide or globally. Um, we're very fortunate to have two full-time counselors who have spent the, the last four weeks reaching out to parents. We still do our lunch bunch groups with kids, um, more virtual. So you're having lunch with the, the counselor um, virtually. So that still happens. Um, counselors are still connecting with parents, um, calling parents and scheduling virtual meetings with parents. So it, it looks a little different, but the work that we've been doing, we continue to do. Now, Jackie, take us through a typical day for you now, post stay-at-home period. Sure. Oh, Jackie, tell well, us what, uh, what grade you teach as well. Oh, yeah. I teach fifth grade, and there's actually two homerooms for fifth grade this year. So both homeroom teachers, we start with meeting with our own homeroom um, with morning meetings. So we set that up where it's every morning. It's about 15 minutes, and that just gives us a way to connect, see each other, um, kind of get us into, like, we're all doing this together, keeping the community. They see the, um, each other. They see me. I give them a message. Um, we might play a little game together just to get them smiling and, you know, feeling like we would in class in a normal setting. And then we go over the day, and that's what I would normally do in, um, face-to-face in our classroom. So I go over the day, I screen share, show them, you know, assignments and tasks. So this is a great time for them to ask questions and just connect with each other that way. And then we say goodbye, so that's 15 minutes, and then they're all off you know, doing the work. So it's a great way to just get them started. I also noticed on Mondays, I always ask them what they did over the weekend. And in class, we would write letters and I would read them and we would guess who it is based on the clues. And we've still kept doing it. And it just shows them that, oh, I have to clean the house too. And so do all of my friends. So they don't feel alone in like things that they're doing. Or I went on a bike ride and so did half of the class. So they kind of feel connected in that way. So the morning meetings have been really important. And then they do their work separately. And then either every other day they meet again for 30 minutes or 15 minutes, depending on what subject it is. So I'll, I will do reading on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we'll meet back again with homeroom for half an hour. And then they get to see us again and we do more of a lesson that way and connect and keep building on our skills on Mondays and Wednesdays. They'll meet with the other fifth grade teacher and she'll do a math lesson. And in between all of that, we're trying to assist them on Google Classroom. I think they've gotten into the swing of things. So um, my mailbox isn't that flooded yet, but they know I'm available for them. If they have questions, they like to just comment on things. So we're staying connected on that in that way. Now, Kaz, as the uh, principal of St. Alphonsus Academy and Center for the Arts, uh, how are you been connecting with the faculty? Do you do it daily, weekly, uh, in this whole new situation? Um, 
That's a good question. Um, we we still do our, our weekly faculty meetings and connections on Wednesday um, through Zoom or Skype. Um, it's a little harder. It's a little more impersonal um, because of the, we have 65 staff members, so that makes it a little challenging to connect in that regard. Um, but I've been meeting um, weekly with the smaller groups, with grade-level teams of either four or six um, staff members. And that tends to be a little more intimate, where we're actually able to see each other um, and really discuss with, um, with planning and preparations and things like that. Um, the cell phone has become a vital tool as well in terms of you know, calling teachers or teachers calling me um, about situations. So it, it really, again, it, I, it's doing the same thing, but really all with technology, either virtual um, online platforms or the telephone. How about for you, Molly? I have found that we have kept up large faculty meetings using Zoom uh, probably once a week, I would say. And we even kept up our fresh, a professional development that we had scheduled. We got our speaker to come in virtually, which felt really good to us because, you know, this is the, the, the importance I think right now is to provide normalcy and routine for adults and children whenever possible. And this is the time of year when you've got one foot in the next school year and one foot in the current school year. So to be talking about things like, oh, science curriculum for next year, or to be talking about, oh, for social emotional learning, we're going to roll out this curriculum. So let's meet and talk about that. Those things give you an idea, too, that things are normal. We're, we're going to come back in the fall, maybe sooner. We don't know yet. And have a regular school year. Um, those normalcy and those routines are really important. And then I agree with Cass. I think that some of the grade-level meetings have been really helpful. Um, you know, if you have something bubble up, a certain issue, it's really great to pull everyone together because if it's a student need, everyone on that team is interacting with that child or that family, and you want to make sure that we're being consistent and that we're all aware if we need to kind of reach out a little bit more or, you know, whatever that child needs. Um, I think the morning announcements are super important. I have always done those in my school, and then the kids join me every day. So for a while, the first week, I think we're in week four now, the first week I did all the morning and all the afternoon announcements, much to my teenager's chagrin. I was posting, you know, my, <laughs> my Pledge of Allegiance and my prayer all over YouTube becoming somewhat of a YouTube sensation and irritating my teenagers. But I will tell you that um, it's been really well received. I think people like to know that, oh, there's Dr. Cinnamon with prayer. And I've had a couple of parents say to me, you know, we didn't know the prayers that you said in the morning and in the afternoon, and now we know them and we can say them with our children. And then a couple of days into it, we tossed it out to our community and said, hey, why don't families do this. And we invited a few families that we knew were particularly brave and very passionate and excited. And now the kids are doing the PM ones with their families, and I do the morning ones. And that's made us all feel connected as well. And it just brightens my day to see my kids up there, you know, um, saying the pledge, saying prayer. They're very creative. Some of them actually one time last week, a family was in their Pope John uniform, like head to toe. And that just <laughs> made me so happy. I was so proud. And I thought, they probably actually do miss their uniform, believe it or probably not, right about now, right? And let's give a special shout out to all the teachers, parents, and children who are adapting to e-learning in our schools. Guest host Bridget Murphy of our Voice of Charity program talked with guests from Catholic Charities who are involved with the LOSS program, 
which promotes hope and healing to survivors of suicide. Welcome back to The Voice of Charity. Annie, we want to turn to you for a moment. Um, The annual loss event is happening on Sunday, April 26th. And obviously, in light of the pandemic, we are doing it a bit differently this year. But it's so important. Um, Father Ruby's talked about how unique and traumatic this particular experience is of losing someone to death by suicide. It's so important to bring these people together who have that shared experience. So can you tell us a little bit about what's planned for April 26th? Yes. Um, We've been doing this event for 29 years now as a fundraiser for loss. And as you mentioned, this is the first time we're doing it virtually. We're evolving with the times. (laughs) And so on April 26th, we'll be having a live webcast for anybody to access, everybody to access free from home. And it'll feature Father Ruby and our 2020 Charles T. Ruby Award winner, Dr. Jack Jordan, who's an acclaimed psychologist and author, and will really have some inspiring things to say to our survivors and their loved ones and friends. Uh, We'll also be having an online auction, a grand raffle with some really great prizes, and an online donation appeal to support the loss program, which is funded 100% by private donations. Great. And I know one of the things, um, I have not been to this event, but I've I've heard that in person it's a packed group and there's, you know, the hugging and connecting and all the things we all wish we could do um, during this pandemic that isn't healthy for us to do anymore. Um, how, How will we go about trying to create that sense of connectivity? We have a great, you know, opportunity to do this online um, and involve so many people in the lost community, which is now, you know, a national community and even an international community. So something that we can't do at the in-person event is bring all those people together on this day online. Uh, we're taking photos of people's loved ones. We're learning about their stories. We're learning about the stories of survivors who, like Father Ruby said, no longer remember their loved one in the way that they died, but in the way that, you know, they touched their lives. And they're also celebrating this day as a moment in their own journey of hope and strength. So we're able to do that interactively online, people submitting things to share with the community, people chatting on that day and participating all to support the loss program. That sounds wonderful. I mean, there are plenty of upsides to doing it remotely, as you say, although we'll we'll miss being together. Um, Annie, you've been involved with this event for a long time, and I can hear in your response how much it means to you. What makes it, you know, you have to handle a million logistics and, you know, you really make the event happen. But what makes this particular event special for you? Well, something, you know, just that we're talking about that the people who have been so helped by this program, whose lives were saved by this program, are the ones who are coming to support it, to be a part of it, um, and to really be the event itself. You know, it wouldn't be what it is without the, you know, the hopefulness and the strength of their survivors 
coming along the way in their grief journey and saying, you know, I'm here to celebrate my own life and the life of my loved one, and I'm not going to hide in the darkness and keep this to myself anymore. Um, that's something really unique that, you know, it, it makes it not just another fundraising event. It's really um, a community builder and a, a personal moment of hope for everybody there. I'm speechless. I mean, that's it. That's just beautiful to be able to come out of the darkness together and know that there are so many people around you who are here to support and remember your loved one. Um, you mentioned Dr. Jack Jordan. So, Father Ruby, we should mention the all the medical and um, clinical specialists you have as part of the um, loss team. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we've been fortunate to have people like Dr. Jack Jordan uh, uh, to come and speak uh, to to our to the group or uh, the lost family. Um, people like David Clark, Dr. David Clark, uh, who's a clinical psychologist. He was at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's. Uh, these, there are people who are, who are so skilled in mental illness, and they can shed light on uh, for survivors on, uh, on what it means to, uh, to lose someone to suicide. These are people specially skilled in the field of suicide. When I first started, I had no idea what suicidology, there's a whole uh, there's a whole uh, group of people who do nothing but study suicide at different aspects, doing research, crisis centers, survivors, and so forth. And when I first started, survivors were kind of tolerated, but now it's an important part of the American Association of Suicidology. And these are people uh, from around the country, around the world, actually, who make their life study suicide. Uh, and you know, I, I, what, what we need in, in this whole field, we need a Dr. Jane, Jonas Salk who uh, eradicated polio. We need a Jonas Salk in the field of suicide somehow to eradicate uh, the incidence of suicide. And they're on the rise. And we're wondering now with the pandemic that we're experiencing, is the rate of suicide going to increase? And there's all indications that it probably might or probably will increase because of the seriousness of this pandemic. Right. So uh, these are people from around the world, especially in this country, who have put their life's work studying the field of suicide. Yes, and we're so lucky to have them and to have you. Um, in closing, we obviously this is a very serious subject. If any of our listeners are concerned about someone who may have suicidal suicidal thoughts, Please call LOSS at 312-655-7283 or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. You know, as we've talked about in, in two shows now, there is clinical, spiritual, and social support out there for people. You are not alone. Father Ruby, we want to thank you and your LOSS team, including Annie. And everyone in the lost community are just very inspiring people helping everyone get through something that no one should have to experience. But there is hope and help out there. We wish you and Annie every success with the event, and we look forward to talking with our listeners next week. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Bridget.
We encourage you to go to the Catholic Charities website to see how you can support their ministries that impact the lives of tens of thousands of people in need in Cook and Lake Counties. Just go to catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Stick around. In a moment, we'll hear from people in our parishes to see how they are being creative at ministering to parishioners during the COVID-19 crisis. Back in a moment. Food pantries, home-delivered meals to seniors, evening-to-go meals for the homeless, financial assistance, counseling, and other services. These are all programs Catholic Charities has been providing for years to people in Cook and Lake Counties. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, we have worked to keep all of these programs going, never turning anyone away. The needs are urgent and they will grow, but we want you to know that we will be here, as we always have been, with food, housing, financial assistance, and ongoing support. Thank you to the many, many donors and partners helping us serve those most in need. We couldn't do it without you. Would you consider joining us too at this historic time? Go to catholiccharities.net to donate and to learn more about our volunteer opportunities. Thank you on behalf of all those we have the privilege to serve. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here. We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend. Featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the Archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson. We'll talk with Cardinal Blaise Supich about how the COVID-19 epidemic is affecting just about every aspect of life in America, including how we worship. We'll talk about attending Mass online and how the Church continues to reach out to help those in need. We'll also bring you stories about using modern technology to teach fire safety to our children and when losing your hair can be a good thing for others. Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. There's really nothing quite like participating in a virtual event, and Catholic Charities has a great one for you to consider being a part of this spring. The 2020 Blossoms of Hope will take place on Sunday, April 26th. Attendees will log in free of charge from their laptops or desktops at home. Instantly, they will be connected to hundreds of the most compassionate people in Chicago. Blossoms of Hope will feature powerful speakers, moving tributes, and enjoyable online games, all dedicated to honoring those who have been lost to suicide. It will be the annual gathering of those who believe in and support Catholic Charities Lost Program that has been working for over 40 years to help survivors of suicide deal with the grieving process and move forward with hope. Experience how a virtual event can bring people together in the most inspiring way. To learn more, call 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net slash lossbrunch. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday, from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. 
On the Way this week focused on how we are continuing to provide a sense of community and connection while we are under the stay-at-home order. Co-hosts Beth White and Jen Delvaux talked with Tom Howard from St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta Parish and Kim Haggerty from St. Mother Theodore Guerin Parish about reaching out to their parishioners and beyond. Kim, um, people may not recognize the name Mother Theodore Garin. So what, uh, that's a unified parish. What were the two parishes, what are the two church names that exist that make up the parish? St. Mother Garin Parish is um, formed from the unification of St. Cyprian in River Grove and St. Celestine in Chicago and Elmwood Park. And we've been together for almost two years now. Excellent. And then, Tom, if you want to let people remind people what who St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta is. Both of you are St. Mothers, by the way. That's interesting. Yes, really. <laughs> yes. yes, mothers are definitely a blessing uh, the Archdiocese. Uh, of course, you all know who St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta is, and we're blessed to receive her name, uh, a combination of two parish worship sites, uh, St. Teresa uh, of Lisieux in Chinatown and uh, St. Barbara in Bridgeport. And we've been together uh, well, July 1st. Uh, this year will be our first year, so we're combining all of our efforts. And we also have a school called St. Therese Chinese Catholic School. Excellent. And I know that, um, so both of your parishes are what we have gone through the Renew My Church process, and they're both in what we would call building the new reality phase. And so, Kim, um, we had spoken about some of the things that you have been doing since we've had this stay-at-home order and that we have, um, our church buildings have been closed up. So would you share with our listeners some of the innovative things that you have been doing, you and your parishioners? Well, part of what we've been doing is kind of we went old school and um, <laughs> divided up the names of all the parishioners and the phone numbers and had staff members try and call everybody and check in on them. Um, we also did a mailing to everybody with uh, a little cross made out of blessed palms from um, after Palm Sunday so that Aww. people would hear directly from everybody, and uh, people really did like that. Oh, we beefed idea. up our our e-newsletter. We send out an e-newsletter usually once a week, and we only had about emails for 200 people when um, all of this first started, and we've been able to get it, um, partly by the phone calls, but get our e-news up to 1,700 wow. emails so we can reach people directly that way. And then we tried to beef up our online presence by um, live streaming through Facebook Live, because that seemed to be the easiest. Um, different masses and Holy Week services. And um, as well as some devotions, the rosary, the holy hour with the Divine Mercy Chaplet, the adoration. And um, those are starting to get pretty good. We had some sideways rosaries and some <laughs> up and down and, and some sound that you couldn't hear at the beginning. But it, it has really, really come a long way. And the Easter services were beautiful. And in, in, they were able to run Wi-Fi into the church and and um, figure out ways so that, so that people could hear it. And we have several hundred people watching online, so that was very nice. That's wonderful. And then you also told me that Father Paul had uh, done some messages for folks. Um, yes, because St. Cyprian um, Church doesn't have Wi-Fi in it, and it's a smaller church with a pretty loud echo, we weren't able to stream Mass from there, but we don't want people whose church is St. Cyprian to feel left out. Mm. Father Paul was able to do an Easter message from the altar there, 
and Excellent. it's um, I mean it's such a beautiful church. Both churches have beautiful stained glass, and and you know we do want people to know that we're thinking about people in both sites. You know, mm-hmm. which, um, but for right now, it's easier to do the live streaming from St. Celestine Church. We're just working on trying to figure out how to do it from Cyprian too. Excellent. And so, Tom, do you want to share with us a little bit about what you're doing there at St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta? Yeah, and um, that sounds wonderful, what's going up at um, St. Mother Garen. That's just, I don't want to repeat any of things, the wonderful things you're doing. I love the old school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, and, I, and I did talk to Jennifer from your staff, and she um, suggested that we have our young adults reach out to the elders. So that's been uh, very effective. Excellent. Um, that personal touch. And um, my the shift in, for me as an uh, educator was the day we left, on March 13th, I submitted my lesson plans. I also teach. And uh, I gave him my principal, and she looked at him, and she goes, this is wonderful. And what I did was I crafted a way, I just thought, well, I'm not, I might not see these First Communion kids until, um, you know, I don't know when, so, and their parents are their primary catechists, so I fashioned a lesson plan for the, the parents to educate the kids while I was away. So we've been thinking about how to foster missionary discipleship <clears throat> at uh, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and to give people tools so they could uh, leverage their opportunities to, to really live out their baptismal call. So we created on our website uh e-learning resources, that was our first initiative, and then we started a uh, Father Francis Lee is kind of a superstar when it comes to his uh, camera presence, so <laughs> he, we, we, he wanted to uh, start out with, like Beth, uh, um, Kim said, uh, some devotional, we did some prayers and uh-huh. we did some rosaries, and then we, now we've been doing the masses, and we, like um, Kim shared, the, the echo in the large church was problematic, so we had to purchase some new equipment so we could uh, do the audio right inside the, the camera. And we're working out those kinks um, little by little. And the last thing I'll share is that with the parish catechist, that's the most, that's like what I call the juggernaut. They're, they have the hardest job because how do they reach out to their families? There's so many obstacles in the way. So we're meeting with them um, once a week and we're problem solving um, with them. And they're, and also help, helping them to craft like love letters to the parents um, and just tell them that they're there for them and they love them and they want to provide resources for them because the return rate on the parents responding to the parish catechist is very low because parents are so overwhelmed now with the mm-hmm. e-learning that they're getting bombarded with. And they, they're actually, they're not the primary biology teacher. They're not the primary math teacher. They're the primary I catechist. Know, right? so, Right. So our lesson plans are much easier because we can partner with them, but they're right. they're frustrated with all that biology and science. Yeah. And math. I and would be too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Having to teach your kids math. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So the, Tom, ca- the love, catechist can kind of pastorally minister <laughs> to them while they go through uh, yeah. the, the problems they're having with uh, confronting how they a full time teacher for three other kids and holding down their job and doing their. Yeah. Zoom meetings from home. So, yeah. yeah. And that is one of the challenges that, not one, but there's many, but that is a challenge that for our families right now, right? That they're trying to balance their their day job along with being their their children's teacher and and also helping out their their, uh, children um, advancing in the faith. 
And so what are some of the ways in which you're encouraging the parents? You're sending love letters, but what are some of the other ways you're encouraging them? Um, well, for if what we're doing is we've created uh, on our website um, four, four buttons of the pillars of the Catholic Church, and they basically could spend um, eight years <laughs> on, <laughs> on those buttons. Uh, we fashioned them off the four pillars of the Catholic Church, and we we kind of created in a hierarchical model with Vatican uh, resources. First, United States Catholic Bishop, second, and then uh, uh, free uh, free services that Sadlier and uh, Benzinger and uh, Loyola Press are using. So, um, yeah, many of the publishers are offering all kinds of free services right now. So. Yes, and your Office for Faith Formation has been great, um, awesome. Beth, at the Archdiocese Excellent. and. Sending out those weekly bulletins, um, they've been really helpful um, to put that together. So that's what we're doing. Excellent, excellent. And so- our, our DRE has been, um, you know, sending out um, plans and links to different YouTube videos and different things that parents can use also. Um, and our principal of our school, which is St. Celestine School, has been doing a daily um, e-newsletter out to the parents again with kind of encouragement mm-hmm. and ideas of what they can do. But, um, Tom, you have some great ideas there. <laughs> we plan to, I'm writing all this down, I plan to bring this back to our parish. especially love the idea of your young adults reaching out to the elders. I mean, how nice for older people, especially probably feeling more, fra- more fragile, trapped in at these times, to hear some young voices. What a great idea. Thanks to Beth, Jen, and their guests. And you can hear that entire conversation by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. Finally this week, Megan Mio of our Mission Matters program caught up with Sister Alice Vandenover. They discussed how the global health emergency is affecting our brothers and sisters in mission areas. Sister Alice to be here because I know that her own and her congregation's experience and knowledge about mission areas of the world would richly inform our discussion of how global mission responds to our current pandemic. So uh, to get us started, can you please tell us a little more about yourself, Sister Alice? Well, I was uh, brought up in Manhattan uh, during the days when rents were low and health care was not expensive. Mm-hmm. Went to Catholic grade school and high school, of course, and then to Hunter College, which had a tuition of twenty-two dollars and fifty cents per semester, which included the use of the books. Wow, uh, Manhattan was very affordable then, with thirty-dollar a month rents. I mean, it sounds eye-popping these days that Manhattan was once so affordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were considered the golden days for the middle class, and definitely my father, I don't even think he would have thought of himself as middle class, mm-hmm. maybe upper poor. Mm-hmm. So when I did go to Hunter College, I majored in chemistry, mm-hmm. entered Mary Knoll in 1968 in the St. Louis novitiate. So therefore, I became a Midwesterner for nine months. Uh, Spent the following year at our center house 
near Osning, New York, and then was sent to the Philippines in 1970. Mm. So since I was a chemistry major, I taught chemistry at Marino College a few years, but I also did part-time work at the same time with a nonprofit group. Now, you mentioned the word non-government organization, and I'm just calling it a nonprofit group. Because I think that's more understandable uh, to uh, our U.S. ears. Audience, yeah. Yeah, But they were an NGO. Uh, And um, Marinol College is located in Quezon City, which is part of the greater Metro Manila area. In later years, I worked full-time with ACAP and other nonprofits. Yeah, I was just going to ask, did you have any expectation that you would be going to the Philippines? Did you have any knowledge about that part of the world before you went? Well, yes. The congregation asked us to put down our choices, and uh, the Philippines was one of my choices. Mm-hmm. And you, So you spent more time um, over the, the many years that you were in the Philippines with uh, um, the nonprofit groups than with teaching? Oh, I did. I spent more time with the nonprofit groups, and and maybe you would like a little more information about ACAP at this point. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, would you? Yeah, I would. Uh, there were several squat areas in Metro Manila with a high incidence of tuberculosis, TB. Mm-hmm. And ACAP's name is from a series of words. You know, ACAP is like an acronym. Mm-hmm. And in Tagalog, A in Akap means ally, which means gift offering. And Kapwa, K, is, means neighbor. So Akap administered anti-TB programs mm-hmm. in several squad areas in Metro Manila. Okay. They trained uh, volunteers in their respective communities to be healthcare workers or CHWs, which stands for community healthcare worker. So then these CHWs were trained to test their fellow squatters for TB, and if positive, to follow them up uh, that they took their medicines in the full co- for the full course of treatment, mm-hmm. because it's common for TB patients to stop taking their meds once they feel better, mm. but then the symptoms come back. That's not enough. You say the squatter areas. Could you say more about what that means? Sure. Um, squatters are uh, people that can't afford to pay rent. Mm. So they, um, they kind of uh, take over areas that seem to be empty and uh, build... Um, Ramshackle houses, uh, mm-hmm. usually only about, you know, as big as one bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they put a tin roof on it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they live in constant fear of demolition. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're there without any permissions. They're just uh, trying to get by. Yes. And yeah. in UN terminology, uh, these squatty areas, which are, which are very prevalent, in in the poor among the poorer countries, mm-hmm. they're called informal settlements, mm-hmm. 
and about 25% of the world's population live in informal settlements, and most of these are in poor countries. Right. And, and this is the kind of setting, too, just keeping in mind that people are living very close to one another, too, right? Right. Yeah. You, know, if you, could, you know, if you could visualize hundreds of small wooden shacks with a tin roof, each the size of a bedroom, the family really uses it mostly at night. The whole family might sleep at night on the floor under a big mosquito net. Mm-hmm. And why are they living there? Uh, these are people who cannot afford to pay rent for decent housing. Mm-hmm. Their jobs might be selling food on sidewalks or collecting reusables, uh, recyclables in our language, mm-hmm. and and then they sell that. Or they might go to big garbage heaps, picking through the garbage heap and selling what might have some value. Mm-hmm. They might have a regular job, but the job might probably pays a very low salary, and then they cannot, can't afford the rent. Right. They can't get a safe place to live. <clears throat> wow. And I mean, I think it's also really amazing that uh, you uh, were helping to um, develop leaders uh, from amongst those settlements to find people who could, um, could take care of the members of their community there, those commu- the CHWs, community health care workers. Right, right. Uh, that was... Um... That was a common uh, strategy that uh, uh, people used, that people trying to help the poor used in a country like the Philippines to um, to help the people to help themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's on areas like these upon which most missionary groups focus. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we can talk a little bit more about your experience in the Philippines, but I'd also just like to ask real quick, you're currently uh, doing mission awareness work, right? Yes. Um, so that does that mean that you're giving mission appeals? Yes. Uh, our, our congregation, we, we were in, in the Chicago area last year, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to your generosity, mm-hmm. and... Um, and we were in uh, in New Jersey, New York, uh, Maine, and in several areas along the West Coast. Awesome. So we were giving talks in uh, churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to say, you know, our office has seen over the years that the the mission co-ops in the summer, um, being able to have somebody be able to speak personally about this experience themselves having been a missionary or speaking about their own home community, um, it's, it's, it opens people's eyes. I think people really respond to that, and um, we're, we're very glad to have missionaries visit the Archdiocese uh, in the summer here. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you for inviting us. And I, I know, well, I personally cover New Jersey and New York, and uh, I can't, I almost can't tell you a weekend that I wasn't so grateful and so thrilled to be with the people in the churches. It's always a great experience for me. Yeah, right. Yeah, people are hungry for this information. Um, So if we could talk just a little bit about Mary Knoll Sisters in general. Sure. Um, I believe, I mean, I did a little research in preparation for our conversation today. Sisters are involved in a variety of ministries and services, including human rights, education, care for creation, pastoral ministries, peace building. 
as well as healthcare, uh, something that you mentioned. Um, can you tell us more about Mary Knowles Sisters? How were they founded? Well, we were the first U.S. group to uh, send Catholic United States nationals abroad for purposes of mission. Mm-hmm. Therefore, with the founding of Mary Knoll in 1911-1912, the fathers in 1911, the sisters in 1912, in the eyes of the Catholic Church then, the U.S. became a mission-sending country. Mm-hmm. So we began with fathers and sisters. Later we added brothers, lay missionaries, mm-hmm. and then affiliates. Mm-hmm. So therefore, Mary Knoll is now a big family. Mm-hmm. And like a family of grown-ups, we all independently run our respective organizations, Mm -hmm. and we raise funds separately. Mm -hmm. So currently, the Marinol Sisters are in 20 countries, and we Mm -hmm. raise funds from direct mail appeals, charitable gift annuities, Mm -hmm. uh, other charitable uh, bequests, and, and church dates, the Missionary Cooperation Plan. Yeah. Would you like to know the countries uh, we're in? Well, just a few of them anyway. Sure. Uh, well, in Africa, we're in uh, Kenya, Tanzania, Zimbabwe. In Asia, Bangladesh, Cambodia, China, East Timor, Japan, Korea, <laughs> Philippines, Taiwan. In Central America, El Salvador, Guatemala, Panama. And we're in the Central Pacific, too, the Pacific Islands. And in South America, we're in Brazil, Chile, Ecuador, Peru. And we also work in the United States with disadvantaged minorities. You you gave a lot of our mission ministry categories. I, I could add more, but uh, you gave a good introduction on that. It's broad, right? You're responding to the needs there. Sister Alice, is it true that, that Mary Knoll sisters also, I don't know what the right word is, but have found vocations in all of these countries as well? Well, we we have a vocation outreach in all of those countries, um, uh, and um, but I, you know, well, we're always mindful that we want people to to join us, mm-hmm. but sometimes we say, you know, join the local church because mm-hmm. we want to build up the local church. Thanks to Megan and Sister Alice, we close with a reminder that you can attend mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. We have daily Masses from St. James Chapel at the Quigley Center and Sunday Masses in English, Spanish, and Polish from Holy Name Cathedral. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Sunday Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Jim Dish for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Please reach out to family and friends during these trying times. Stay safe, everyone. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.